Hello, you are listening to OmniTalk's Retail Fast Five, brought to you in partnership with the A&M Consumer and Retail Group, Avalara, Williot, EGW, and Sezzle. Ranked in the top 10% of all podcasts globally and currently ranked the number one podcast in all of retail by Feedspot. The Retail Fast Five is a podcast that we hope makes you feel a little smarter, but most importantly, a little happier each week too. Today is January 31st, 2024, the last day of dry January. I'm your host, Ann Bazinga. And I'm Chris Walton. And we're here once again to discuss the most important headlines from the past week that highlight how the physical, digital, and human elements of retail are coming together to shape the future. Chris, we didn't do dry yes, January. Yes, Ann. But we no, do. I, well, I, I didn't do dry January. No, you're right. Oh. I, I didn't even realize that dry January was upon me, and I had oh, no idea. I can't believe late. it's almost February, too. Like, now you got to start, now you gotta start hitting the bottle again. Um, Chris, we do, however, have an all-star guest today on the podcast who I know you and I are so excited about. Mm-hmm. Uh, joining us for a very special version of the Talk Retail Fast Five is none other than, none other than Shop Talk's very own VP of original content and strategy, Ben Miller. Ben, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Anne. Hi, Chris. It's an absolute pleasure to be with you. Thank you. Looking forward to this. So are we, my friend. Oh my gosh. I have, when, when we started talking about doing this, I got so giddy. I was like a giddy as a schoolgirl. Like I just couldn't wait to get this going because, you know, a lot of respect for you and what you do at Shop Talk and can't wait to get your thoughts as a guest host on today's show. Yeah, oh, Ben. Thanks, I'm, Chris. I mean, you are we we joke like you're our you're our European correspondent. Like I feel like we That's you true, always actually. are hitting all of the great stores that we talk about often on the show and giving us that up close and personal look. And so I'm I like Chris said to just echo what he said. I think there's so much that we are excited to talk to you about to get your perspective on in today's show. No um, pressure though, Ben. No pressure no, at all. No pressure. None just at all. that we're expecting incredibly big things from you for the next 30 minutes and for our audience. So no pressure though. Oh my God, no pressure. Okay, <laughs> right. I'll, I'll, I'll do my best to underwhelm. Yeah. Um, ben, come on now. Uh, so I, for those people who aren't familiar with you though, Ben, um, if you could just quick give a brief background on you and your your new, congratulations, your, uh, new your promotion. promotion, your new role at Shop Talk. Now, uh, thank you. So my, my role is Shop Talk. I'm VP of what we call our original content program. So that's our program of uh, research, insights, the proprietary content that we as a Shop Talk team bring to the show. Uh, we're always trying to bring new insights, new information um, to our guests. And wh- whether that is work that we do or work that we do in close partnership with our fantastic community of research partners and insight partners, um, I have the privilege of coordinating that work and bringing it to the show. Um, background, 25 years in retail, uh, originally worked for, uh, as a retailer, so did commercial, marketing and investor relation roles in the grocery industry. I worked for the Safeway company here in the UK. Uh, and then I spent a long time agency side, consultancy, uh, insights, mainly focused on grocery, spent a long time working on the US grocery industry. So uh, that's very much my second home. Uh, and now kind of really enjoying working across all retail at ShopTalk. Yeah, that's why we're excited to have you because you've got an, you're an operator uh, by your background. It's in your blood. You understand retail and particularly grocery retail, which is always a sweet spot of ours. So 
All right, and I said before, I'm super excited to get on with this show, but uh, do we have any upcoming content that we want to tell our listeners about first? Uh, You know, we always do, Chris. We've always got content. If we're we're doing our jobs, we do. You're right, Ann. That's a really good point. Yes. We're the VP of original content uh, for OmniTalk. Nothing like (laughs) Shop Talks level, but but for OmniTalk, yes, we do have some great content. Uh, Make sure if you didn't catch our LinkedIn Live a session yesterday with Ethan Chernofsky of Placer AI on the on the uh, five big questions on retailers' minds to start 2024. You can find that discussion in full, get the whole session on omitalk.blog or on our YouTube channel. Uh, and then next, we have another LinkedIn Live event coming up in February. We're bringing back one of our all-time uh, most popular guests. We have Dematic Kim Beaudry, who will be joining us once again in a session we are calling Bigger and Smaller, question mark, uh, how yeah. the need for speed is impacting retail supply chains. And you can register for that now. Just go to our LinkedIn page on Omitak Retail, head to the upcoming events section, and you can sign up right there. She's always bringing us so much knowledge in how retailers are thinking about what to do with back of house, how to make fulfillment more efficient. So yes, yes. And I'm, I'm, I'm particularly excited about that title, bigger and smaller. It's meant to be catchy. It's meant to say, how does that happen? And how can a supply chain become both bigger and smaller? And for whom? That's what we're going to talk about with her. So I'm Jeez. pumped. I'm excited. Should we get to this week's headlines? Let's, let's do it. Let's do it. All right. But of course, before we do... We've got Ben here today, so we have to say a little something about Shop Talk. I, for one end, I can't wait for Shop Talk. I can't wait to be back there in March because we know exactly what it means to be there, everyone. Here's what I think. I took some time to think about this, and here's you what journal? I think. Being, you journaled about Shop I did. Talk I journaled. I chronicled, okay. I chronicled okay. my thoughts, Ann and Let's ben. hear it. Let's hear it. Here's what I think being at Shop Talk says about you as a person. Okay. <laughs> Are you ready for this? All right. This is like a Cosmo article. Right. Yeah. Hey, we go above and beyond. We go above and beyond here. Number one, it says you're a forward thinker. It says you're eager to engage with over 230 speakers handpicked for their cutting edge leadership. You, you can you can rub elbows with people like Gina Boswell, the Bath and Body Works CEO, Tom, King, Tom Kingsbury of Kohl's, the Kohl's CEO is gonna be there. Can't wait to see that. And Tony Spring, the incoming Macy CEO is gonna be there too. So, all right, number two, it says you're well-connected or that you want to be because you can meet with over 10,000 of the most important people in retail. You can join confirmed VP and C-suite attendees from Gucci, Foot Locker, Burberry, Hasbro, Harley-Davidson, Gymshark, Mattel, Stanley 1913, Scott's miracle Grow, Staples, Target, and tons more. Was that enough for you, Anne? I mean, I tried to list out as many I as mean, I could that a, sounded cool. There's quite a cornucopia of retailers in that mix. I like it. I like it. Yeah. And brands, too. Retailers and yes, brands. And brands. And three. And, and brands. three. It makes you part of the global conversation, participating in your share of more than 70, 75,000 impactful meetings through their meetup program and exploring the newest offerings from 900 plus tech companies. That's important. But finally, the best part, the best part about what ShopTalk says about you is that retailers and brands, you can still qualify for a free VIP ticket, but you need to get in now. They're closing applications next Friday, February 9th. So don't delay. Prices for paid tickets will go up soon. So retailers and brands can use code OMNITALK, that's O-M-N-I-T-A-L-K, to save an extra 10% off current rates. Just head to shoptalk.com 
and book your ticket today. All right. In today's Fast Five, we've got news on Walmart promoting that its store managers may soon make over $400,000 per year. Holy cow. Woot. Some absolutely astonishing data on self-checkout. Instacart's plans to gamify shopping and TikTok trialing the making of all posts on its platform shoppable and by all and I mean every single one. But we begin today with a rash of layoff news and yes, headline number one, REI, eBay, John Lewis and Levi's, among several others, all announced layoffs this week, joining the ranks of Macy's and Wayfair from the week before. According to CNBC, eBay plans to cut 9% of its staff, which equates to about 1,000 full-time jobs. And Levi's says that it too will cut 10 to 15% of its global corporate workforce. REI also plans to cut 357 of its employees, according to Fox Business. And finally, according to Draper's, John Lewis may cut as many as 11,000 of its total 76,000 member workforce. Whoa, that is a lot. Yeah. Um, ben, I'm going to go to you first here on this one. What do you think of these announcements first? And what, if anything, do you say, do you think that it says might be on the minds of your average corporate retail executive right now. Uh, yeah, man. I mean, re look, redundancy stories are always tough. Yeah. yeah. You kind of run through numbers like that. They're big numbers, but each one of them is alive, is a livelihood. Um, yeah. Out of redundancies, you always get great stories. You know, people that are able to make that change that they wanted to make with sometimes with a bit of money in their pockets, um, but not everyone. So look, Firstly, wish everybody involved best of luck um, and finding the next role and, and making forward. And just as kind of every number has got a, an individual story behind it, each of the retailers, in, I think, has got a different story. So what I guess what I wanted to do is maybe just dive a little, a little bit more into one of them and probably one I've got a bit of knowledge around, which is John Lewis. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Look, that, that, that's a big old number. Um, I think, firstly... In the detail, it's going to be a gradual reduction. So this is this is a five-year reduction that, that we're going to see in terms of headcount. So there'll be some redundancy, and there'll be some sort of just not replacing departing staff. So probably a slightly longer time scale than yeah, the eBay announcement, for example. But you're still talking 10 to 15% of the workforce. I think you've got to put it in context of John Lewis' performance. This is the former bellwether of the British High Street um, right. that made, you know, 300 million dollar loss last year. And and it, 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 this loss is widening. Um and yeah, in an inflationary environment, the the, the business top line sales went down two percent last year. So and I think that starts to paint the picture, especially when you compare it to let's say Marks and Spencer's. So I know we've chatted about Marks and Spencer's before that uh, I I Kind of emailed you guys and said they should be your retail of the year last year because <laughs> you did absolutely smashing it. You did. Um, you know, so really similar proposition, high street department stores and food proposition, similar to John Lewis partnership. Yeah, they grew turnover 10% last year, you know, 600 million dollars of EBITDA. So it's not a structural issue for John Lewis. You know, there is a competitor with a really similar proposition doing really, really well. So I think you've got to look at what's going on in that business. And, and this is where I give look kudos to Neil Saunders. He's already been out on LinkedIn and already done some math where he's kind of been comparing um, 
sales per employee between M&S and, and John Lewis. And the average, it's very crude, um, and he, he accepts that, but the, the average M&S employee is delivering 15% more revenue than the average John Lewis employee. I, I didn't compare that to Target. The average Target employee delivers 33% more revenue than the M&S employee, uh, wow. than a John Lewis employee. So I, I think you you can definitely draw the case that John Lewis was potentially overstaffed. Horrible word to use, but the numbers would would seem to would seem to back that up. There is this, I don't know, normalization. There was a bit of overhiring across the whole industry during COVID. So we've seen a little bit of that potentially in, indexing out. I think ultimately for John Lewis, the, the, there's leadership change coming, there's a new chair coming in, um, there's already a new department store boss coming in. People I speak to in the business talk positively about some of the new hires. There's a bit of momentum maybe coming back to the department store business. So I think you know, there are green shoots in that. But the key question, what should be on the mind of retail executives? You've got to grow the top line. Because if you're not growing the top line, this is where you get to. And it's really hard to turn it around when, when you're making cuts of this scale. Right. And I mean, cutting, unfortunately, cutting jobs is the quickest way to do that you know cutting staff is is the best way to quickly improve the bottom line um so i i, I think you're on the right track and neil as well too um chris i'm curious from your perspective i mean you were an executive at target like this is something that you and i both have had to go through what are your thoughts about these announcements yeah i think i'll, I'll, I'll echo what ben was saying too the other part of that john lewis story is like i can remember being in london in 2013 and thinking john lewis was the best omnichannel retailer bar none and it's it's amazing to see how far you know that that reputation has slipped or how actually in a lot of ways how much the rest of the industry has met those expectations and then exceeded what they were doing too is the other point of this but i think what yeah. these the the, the 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 announcements in totality say probably three things to me and one that there's there's potentially still a lag effect on all of this on the economy and we don't know what that impact is yet but, but it could there could still be something coming so that's something we got to watch out for as a retail industry the second thing it tells me is it's going to have an impact on retail innovation and IT investment you have to think budgets are going to stay very tight this year even though they're trying to grow the top line mm -hmm. they're taking these these measures or these steps to you know improve the bottom line as well but you have to think those budgets are going to stay tight and so that brings me to the third point which is it was a show me the money year last year for IT investments. It's still going to be a show me the money uh, year for IT investments because they're going to have to meet the ROI hurdle. So that tells me too, if you're a corporate retail employee and you're working on a metaverse project or a Roblox project or something like that, you better get your resume ready because, or you know, you need at least to be thinking about it because you're probably not in that safe a position as, as these executives start to reallocate their resources appropriately to define, to go after what they need to, to keep the business thriving. Yeah. I think those are great points, Chris. I think the only thing that I would throw in to close us out is, you know, what as, as retail executives making these decisions, like we said, it's a quick, the quickest way to improve the overall P and L, but I think what you need to be considering here is that you are dealing with human beings and livelihoods and families too. And while it makes the bottom line better, what impact are you having on the people that are left behind? And what kind of work are you getting out of those teams when you're trying to work leaner, you're trying to be more agile. And like the Wayfair executive a couple of weeks ago, or the right. CEO was saying like, you have to, we need you to work harder. We need you to 
you know, put more into work? Like, are you going to get that from somebody who's constantly worried about the next round of layoffs and whether or not they're making and making that cut? So I think that's a really important thing to keep in mind for these executives as they're thinking through who's going, who's staying and how many rounds of these we're going to do each, you know, few months like it's been. Yeah, that's a part B of this story. When John, when Ben said like John Lewis is is kind of stage gating their layoffs too, similar to Wayfair. That's just a really interesting approach. Which you know, as you talked to A and M last week on the show, they they do not advise that approach at all from their experience. Right. So yeah, it's fascinating to watch to see if maybe that starts to become the norm too. Who knows? All right, headline number two: Walmart store managers could soon be making more than four hundred thousand dollars a year, according to the Financial Post. Starting in April, all United States store managers will receive as much as $20,000 in Walmart stock every year. As the world's largest retailer seeks to attract and retain staff, the amount of stock grants will vary by store format, with those overseeing smaller outlets eligible for less. Stock grants are the company's latest effort to boost compensation for managers. Walmart said recently that the average store manager's salary will also increase to $128,000 from $117,000, and that managers can now receive as much as 200% of their base salary in bonuses if targets are met. It should also be noted that about 75% of Walmart's managers start as hourly employees, a statistic I did not know, and on average take about five years to land a management role, which is consistent with what I've seen in the industry too. And do you see this, I'm curious, do you see this as PR gloss or is this something more substantive? I sure hope it's not just PR glass. I absolutely love this. And it's not because John Ferner's mug was the reference Im- image on this story. And, you know, we all know <laughs> that he grew up through the ranks, like you were just talking about in the he story um, to take his, his current role. Um, I, I think that what I love about this the most is that it shows investment from Walmart or, you know, other retailers who are doing this in the people who are mission critical for the business to continue to succeed. I think if we look at how, you know, where, where, uh, where salaries are being distributed, where benefits are being distributed. I mean, Chris, this goes back to like when we were working on store of the future and it was simple things like the, the store managers don't get the amenities in the bathroom that you have at a headquarters, like all these things right. that the store employees who are making the job, the business function day in and day out do not have access to. I think it's high time that they're compensated for the work that they're doing to make all those headquarters jobs a possibility. And the last thing I'd say is, you know, like we were talking about in the last story, there's a lot of layers in these legacy retail organizations that I would argue are not all doing the business of as big a service as these store managers are. And so I think when you look at applying some Great of those high paid right out of college salaries to, you know, compensating a store manager who's working up the ranks and giving them incentive to work harder. I think that's the part of this that I think is just a home run for Walmart. And I'm so, so thrilled that they're able to start seeing the fruits of their labor. So you, so you like this. You really are optimistic about this. Yes. That's the dead thing. I want to expand upon that point too, but I want to turn it over to Ben here. Ben, you're you're former investor relations guy. Like, what do you think about this? You you know how to look at these types of announcements. I think it's really great that we are taking the time just to kind of actually step back and question the announcement. Yeah, we we actually we were talking about this in the office yesterday. Walmart on a roll at the moment. Oh my god! Uh, yeah. yeah They've got amazing leadership. So when you're on a roll, you kind of 
kind of look at things with a positive gloss. So actually to stop back and say, you know what, actually, let's let's think about this. Uh, but having done that, you know, it's it's hard not to love it, isn't it? So I guess there's a couple of things. Number one is well, actually what is what's the point of a remuneration package? Is to attract, reward, and retain. Right. Number one, attract. This is Walmart shouting. We really value our store managers, as Anne was yes. saying. That's yep. a great attraction message. Yep. Number two, yeah, I think this is where stepping back into the what's the actual role of a, a Walmart store manager. You know, in many communities, the Walmart store manager will be the biggest employer and run the biggest business in that community. And it yep. sort of recognizes that level of responsibility. And, and I'd go even further because Walmart are layering more responsibility onto that. Mm-hmm. You know, in the last couple of weeks, Anne, I've heard you talk about Walmart as in the store being like the town square. Mm-hmm. They've talked about the healthcare services that appear. Right. Well, that, that's an even greater level of responsibility that the store manager is bringing Great to that community. Point. So, so I think that it one more saying we are going to reward that effort and then retain. Yeah, retail is still a hard industry. You know, we did some research at Shop Talk last year that looked at um, retention rates and retail workers are forty percent more likely than the national average to quit their jobs or to say that they, they want to quit their jobs. And the gap between the quit rate of retail and the rest of the economies is actually widening. So anything that can help retain great talent, and what better way to drive retention than having some equity? You know, the spirit of ownership that I've heard John Ferner talk about before. Uh, net, net, it, it's it's hard not to like it. Yeah, yeah running right. a store like a business. You're, you're mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I love it. Yeah, those are all, I mean, those are all really good points. I mean, the other point I could make too, to to this end, because you're right. I mean, Walmart's on a winning streak here, but you could, and Walmart might not like me say this, although I think they will. You could actually make the argument that they're still not getting paid enough. You know, if you think about it, like 80 to 90% of your volume is still coming through your stores. Yeah. So, so back to your point, Ann. So are you, are you better off paying someone in marketing, marketing that is sitting behind a, in a cubicle Hundred thousand dollars, or splitting that salary out to pay your store employees. Why are you gonna more? call my marketing people out? Well, you know, it could be anything, <laughs> but you know, I mean, but you know what I mean, or the or the engineer yes. that's working on the metaverse, right? Right, like, and so and that so that's and and we deliberately put this story after the first headline because that's an important question. Is like, okay, you can lay people off, but how are you reallocating your payroll spend in the process of doing that? Is it a straight cut or will there be will, yeah. the, will there be a strategic allocation to improve your stores too? Because we've seen when the stores don't have the staff, your retail operations struggles and Walmart's been ahead of the curve on that. So my hunch is, and my hunch is that people are not thinking about this to the degree that Walmart is. And then the last point I'd make, $400,000. I mean, that is just a stark number that's going to stick in people's head. Great yes. marketing move. And five and five years from starting your career at Walmart or five years out of college, because they also hire people out of college, you make four hundred thousand dollars five years out of college, you're you're feeling like a boss. I mean, yeah, that is that is outstanding if you can ride the tailwind of great Walmart results and benefit from that. Yeah. And Chris, I think the last thing, too, that we can punch into here is like all of the tech that Ben was talking about, that you've been talking about, that we've been talking about on the show, that they're about to roll out in Walmart. All of that is dependent on adoption and 
promotion and championing from the store manager to the rest of the staff. So if you want all these investments to roll out that you've made in the last year, you have to have somebody in that role who's dedicated, who's motivated to making sure that that store executes on it. Yeah, you the, the qualifications to be a store manager are so much higher than they used to yes. be. And the technical affluence or acumen that they now require to run all these things is also increased as well. So yeah, 100%. All right, let's move on to headline number three. Recently released findings from Everseen's Retail Threat Curve report indicate that cart-based loss has doubled in the past year, reaching 30% of all incidents happening at self-checkout. I'm going to read this one slowly because there's a lot of detail in this report, but it's very, very important to understand. According to the report, cart-based loss is defined as unscanned items left in the shopping cart at the end of the payment process. So while some cart-based loss is unintentional, this is huge, Everseen's analysis showed that the vast majority of cases are malicious. For example, a shopper might scan most of the items in their cart while leaving some of the expensive items like alcohol and meat unscanned in their cart. Moreover, through its analysis of over 1 billion self-checkout transactions. Important number. Yes, Everseen also indicated that the average number of items left unscanned in the cart has increased from 1.6 to 3.8 per incident over the past year, while the average value of those items increased also from $11.10 to $22.90. Um, Ben, this question, we're going back to you. It's also, you get to be the lucky a and put you on the spot question <laughs> recipient. Um, ben, A&M wants to know, uh, they say, perhaps it's not surprising to see shrink impact of self-checkout on a steady rise. Do recent reports from retailers, A, indicate self-checkout is a failed experiment, B, suggest necessary <laughs> strategic tweaks in their usage, or C, just create awareness around one financial component of an otherwise net beneficial technology. How come he gets a multiple choice question? I know he, they never, they're never nice enough yeah. to us to do that. You know, like, Hey, pick from these options, you know, like, I, yeah, I got a bone to pick with them later yes. today. They go and talk to them. Okay. Ben, what's, what's your, what's your answer? Oh, well, do I get to just say C? Sure. Yeah, go for it. You're done. Just just say C and then be finished. <laughs> That's it. Mike no, no, you actually don't. <laughs> We're oh, gonna need God, you to right. elaborate a little bit. Fill in the fill uh, in the text box. Uh, so, 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 look, shrink stories. It feels like the great, you know, like hokey pokey of retail news this year. Is shrink a thing? Is it not a thing? Is it a thing? Is it not a thing? Right. I, I think I think we've got it. I mean, it's, there's, so there's two questions for me in this one. One is, like, does the self-checkout business case still add up? And then the second one is, what are we doing about shrink? Mm-hmm. And, uh, so if I take the first, brilliant that we've got this bit of research. Well done, everyone. Big, you know, massive bit of research. Actually got some uh, – and we've got a new data point behind it. And I thought, for me, the most interesting data point was that for the average supermarket utilizing self-checkout, they estimate the loss over a year – and cart based loss, cart based loss to be about a hundred k, about a hundred thousand dollars per store, mm-hmm. and and this is the number that's just rapidly growing. So, how does that a hundred thousand k number affect the business case? I mean, I'm going to put aside the the balance sheet bit because you've got the capex bit to put them in, but we're assuming that's already been done. So let's look at look at the P and L. You've got to balance that off against the in-store labor savings. Mm-hmm. And 
we're not covering that in this research. So you've got the labor savings of not having the people on a checkout. You've then got labor availability. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about labor already. There's labor shortages. You know, there's, there's retailers I speak to who say they're utilizing self-checkout because they, there are times of days when they will struggle to get enough stuff to properly run mm -hmm. the store. Mm -hmm. So it means, you know, if you're having to staff the, the checkout, you're not doing replan, you're not doing customer service. So it, 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 you've got to build that into the case. And then you've got customer adoption. Uh, look, for a whole bank of customers, self-checkout is just baked into their shopping habits now. Mm -hmm. So you've got a top-line sales risk if you start rowing back off this. Um, so you can see why I'm, why I'm, I'm keeping it down the sea. Uh, then I, I guess then I want to just put that 100K number into context. You know, an average supermarket will do 600K a week. So it's at 30, $31 million a year. Mm -hmm. So 100k on that is it's less than it's less than half a percent. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess yeah, I strongly and think it's not the straight math to your point. It's not straight yeah. math to your point. Yeah, hundred percent. It is absolutely one component of the financial model, but it's not it's not the story in totality. Um, but of course, look, shrinks the growing problem. Supermarkets run on you know low single digit margins anyway, so. Every half a percent margin is really hard to fought for, so it, it's not a it's not something to walk away from. I think shrink in totality. There's a whole number of really interesting technological solutions that we're tracking at Shop Talk that have got to be seen as part of that. So whether that is you know RFID and computer vision based inventory management systems, whether it's the work that's been done applying AI to cameras to try and identify bad actors, because what the research clearly shows is. The problem's getting worse for people who are um, committing fraud at the checkout, yeah. but it's it's still a relatively small number. So how do you identify those people? Um, how do you monitor robotics, security monitoring, high value? And then yeah, in a grocery environment, you're losing much more margin through fresh food wastage than you are mm -hmm. from this. So right. all the technologies involved in that space to kind of bring down that total shrink. So look, I think declaring self-checkout for failure is is for me it's not the answer um but i think we do need to continue working to see how we can reduce that shrink because it, it, it is a bit clearly having an effect yeah i'm glad that you said that ben because when i did look at the numbers like just seeing i mean not that a hundred thousand dollars is nothing but it it did seem like a lower number when you think about all the other impacts that this technology can have that a self-checkout can have um, in the other categories in the store and freeing up labor, especially when you think about like so many of these self-checkout machines were rolled out during the pandemic. And I think just weren't to the level, like the stores were rolling them out as an alternative option for people to not have to, you know, put glass up between people. And, you know, the, I think the technology is still developing. Jeff Wells of Grocery Dive just wrote a really great piece on this, which I encourage people to read too, that really goes into, you know, like this, these are still something that, that retailers are learning from, and we need to give them the time and the space and the runway to kind of still figure out what the right components are of that self-checkout technology. But Chris, I'll, I'll, I'd want to hear from you here and we'll give you the last word. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's decidedly C. I don't, I think it's like unquestionably yeah. C because actually the cool thing for me about this report is that we actually have this data 
Like right. this data did not exist before. And so for those that maybe aren't familiar with Everseen, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about that too. The way they collect this data is they essentially use computer vision AI. They put cameras right there so that they can watch the actions of people at the registers, at the self-checkout machines. And that's how they're collecting this data. And they've collected, like you said, a billion a billion examples of seeing and watching this this activity and so and that's data we've never had before and so having that data now will enable us to figure out the unlocks to make c work right like yes. that's the key yeah. thing here and the point i would bring up too which i think is really important is it's not just a technological solve mm -hmm. you know whether it's computer vision rfid whatever the smart approach is how do you use the tech to notify the shopper and the sales associate when an issue has occurred and help them get on the same page without the situation escalating, right? So you can take action. You can say, hey, look, you know, you can kind of, I think like Tom, Tom Arrighi at Kroger, who I interviewed a couple of times about this very thing. So, you know, you can nudge them. You can say, hey, you know, notice there's something, you know, not correct in your basket. Let's, let's talk about that. And there's ways to use other AI to make sure that that situation doesn't escalate. So, so the answer to me is it, and it's always the case is it always comes down to people, process and technology working together to solve this. And that's how we make hay on, on the answer, which is C in my opinion. Yeah. I think that's a great recap, Chris. All right, let's take a quick break because Anna and I want to tell you about the 2024 commerce next growth show. It's happening on June 11th to 13th in New York, in the heart of commerce at the New York Hilton Midtown. There at the show, you can forge lasting connections with industry titans, gain insight from top brands, and ignite your potential with immediately actionable strategies. Scaled retailers and brands, your free ticket is waiting. Use code FAST5, that's FAST space 5, and register now to learn more, connect more, and do more in the world of retail. Just head to commercenext.com slash conference. That's commercenext.com slash conference. And we hope to see you there. Headline number four, Instacart wants to gamify omni-channel shopping. According to Grocery Dive, a demo of Instacart's Keeper Cart at the National Retail Federation's Big Show Conference in New York City showed off the option for a consumer to spin a virtual wheel on the smart cart screen for the chance to win a prize. Oh my God, I almost can't read this with a straight face. <laughs> Doing so resulted in a reward of $2 off along with a message that said, spin for another discount next time you shop with a Keeper Cart. Exclamation point too. Using the cart's location sensors and in-store navigation maps, Vice President and General Manager of Instacart's Connected Stores, David McIntosh, said Instacart can envision giving shoppers a challenge to find and scan certain products or types of products in various aisles. Quote, ultimately, where we want to go is to take this to Pokemon Go. Or actually, let me rephrase that because I want to make sure I got that right. He said, quote, ultimately, where we want to take it is Pokemon Go, end quote. So Ben, do you believe in the concept of gamifying the in-store shopping experience as Instacart is envisioning it? Brilliant. I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to answer it with a slightly different question. Okay. I get, so the, the first question you got to pose, that I would pose is, like, do you believe that there's going to be a whole wave of activity over the coming months uh, into the next year, which is all about the digitization of the physical store. Mm -hmm. um, and for me, I think that's a huge yes. And why? I think it's because it's going to be funded by 
attempts to bring retail media right. offline into stores. Um, you know, the, the, the install foot traffic, the opportunity to monetize it is just too great to resist. Yeah. You know, we just had a long conversation earlier about the 0.3% margin from self-checkouts yeah. when you could be making 25% plus margins of, of retail media. Mm-hmm. So therefore, you could expect to see more tests, more trials, more rollout from like a whole suite of in-store tech that will be there to try and unlock those media dollars. Um, whilst also figuring out which ones to drive efficiency and ultimately which get customer adoption. Um, so whether it's ESLs or in-store screens or smart carts with screens, more of this will be coming. So if you buy into that hypothesis, I do feel free to disagree. Yeah. The, the next the next logical step is kind of somebody's like next gen of digital approaches to demand creation will be utilized on those screens. So if advertising platforms are using things like gamification, influencer videos, short-term discounts, if if those are becoming more established, then they're absolutely going to be used on an in-store environment. Um it's kind of wildly too early to know which of them customers are actually going to adopt. But, you know, look, there's been some incredible numbers shared this week about the amount of Timo is spending on advertising, its mm-hmm. growth. And as sort of that Timofication continues, right. gamification is a huge element of this. So, look, is this going to be the bit that sticks? I don't know. Will we see more of this? 100%, I, I think so. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah, those are really compelling points. And what do you think? Yeah. I mean, I, I have my notes similar to what Ben said. I mean, this is something that Timu and Starbucks have been doing for ages and it's, so it's not a new concept. It's definitely something that can get via yeah, mobile engaged. phone though as well. I mean, well, that's, that's you know, my that's key point key here. So right? I think this makes sense. The ads getting served up, like once you put things in the carts, that's great. Retail media that Ben's talking about on the cart makes sense. You better do something to pay off the carts. You better do something to get the ROI from investing in those carts. So they need to have something on there. But the key thing for this strategy to be successful is that it cannot just be on the cart. It has to be something that's omni-channel, that's on somebody's phone, that's on the cart, that's all syncing up with me as a consumer so that I can play that game, I can spin that wheel, whether I'm at home planning to head to the grocery store or I'm in the store using my caper cart for the shopping experience. Um, And the last thing is the Pokemon Go bit, I think is fine, but there still are no seats for the kids on these smart cards. So before you start talking about kids playing this Pokemon Go game in the grocery store, I hate to break it to you, but it's not going to be on the caper cart. Right. And they can still play it on a a mobile phone too, right? right? Like in theory, you don't don't need a cart to gamify the situation. Yeah. So I'm going to surprise you guys a little bit on this one, I think. Like I, as, as a concept, gamification, I'm actually... I'm I'm kind of big on it, you know. Yeah. Um, and this is something, and you might remember this. We thought a lot about this at at Store of the Future mm-hmm. at, at Target. It was definitely on my roadmap, but I would put it in the next category in the now next future of yeah. omni-channel store development. I wouldn't put it on the now. Going back to what we started this show with, like where would I invest in the show me the money things now? This wouldn't be it. Um, you know, in general, I like gamification because you know, anything that allows my my customers to linger in my store for longer, particularly like you said, Anne, if they have kids with them, you know, there's a win. There's a lot of wins from being able to figure that out. But the form factor of it being on the cart, my hunch is that it's not likely there yet, and it's not likely going to be there anytime soon. So while I'm right. pro gamification, 
I wouldn't spend my money on this idea. I wouldn't get hooked on Instacart's flashy, flashy PR on this right now. I'd just be serving up, if I'm going to do the cart at all, I'd just be serving up straight coupons and discounts via the screens yeah. to first understand if the investment thesis and retail media thesis even plays out. Like mm -hmm. this is, this is like far flung idea that doesn't need to happen right now. I don't believe or go the mobile phone. Ben, what do you think? I think I think back well 18 months um so grocery shop 22 is when Instacart launched their connected store proposition and I right. remember conversations at the time around like, what gives Instacart a right to play in the physical store I think by utilizing all their e-commerce knowledge there's some really interesting stuff starting to happen I mean I, yeah you, your old your old colleague our, our Camille Frank Carter Jensen was talking about the amount of data that they are getting from the trial of retail media on the caper cart just in Bristol Farms is incredible now what how you act activate on it and how you action it is the next thing but it's really interesting so we um yeah, you, look, you mentioned David McIntosh in the introductory piece. We're really intrigued about where this is going. So uh, we've invited Dave to come and join us in Barcelona for Shop Talk Europe. He's going to mm. come on stage. Um, oh, wow. So in, uh, in June, so it's our five months' time, we're going to get a little bit of feedback about where this is all going and how is the customer responding to these new things that are being put in front of them. And I think that would be absolutely fascinating. Wow. Absolutely, 100%. I, I that's can't a wait good to see drop. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited, even more excited. Um, all right, let's close this up with headline number five, guys. TikTok is trialing a new feature to make all video posts shoppable. According to payments, using advanced technology, TikTok's new feature automatically identifies objects in a video and prompts viewers to find similar items on TikTok shop. The new feature now being tested aims to address these concerns by linking products to regular users' uh, posts without the hard sell from an influencer and is therefore designed to provide a more enjoyable experience for visitors who primarily seek entertainment. Chris, I'm going to go to you first. What do you think of TikTok making all of your videos shoppable? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm going to be pretty harsh on this one. I think this one is dead on arrival with DOA. I don't, I don't think, I give them an A for effort and creativity, but but it, 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 the reason I say that, it hinges on the fact that you have to have a great product catalog. Mm -hmm. If you don't have a great product catalog, people are going to get frustrated by this experience, even if they decide to try it out. So it feels a little like putting the cart before the horse, quite honestly, to me, Anne. And also, I think the other point I would make here, I think it could be a sign that TikTok shop isn't working and that they're doing this to goose volume. They're just like, let's open up Pandora's box on this, see if we can get people to use it and do it. But if you don't, again, if you don't have the product catalog, it doesn't matter. So, you know, people are already frustrated by the lack of product catalog on TikTok shop. I don't see how this gets any better with this idea. So, so I don't get it. I don't think it's going to work. Yeah, that's consistent with what Bloomberg saw too, who broke the story. I mean, they were saying that they weren't seeing the, the exact right products that are popping up. So that kills the experience right then and there. If, you know, you're looking for a pair of Nike sneakers and you get like a, a Timu $8 pair of, high tops or something right it's just so frustrating it's so disjointed yeah. like and 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 we've, we've we've heard this use case before right like hey i'm out in the world i can scan a pair of shoes that i want to find and you know then i can just have them delivered to my house like much harder to make happen in reality yeah. to give everyone what they want in their estimation of what that experience should be it never meets reality at least not right now yeah ben where do you fall on this 
Yeah, I mean, I think if I was going to give this an award, I'd give it an award for the most yeah, utterly predictable headline of the year because this mm. is obviously going to happen. Yeah, this was the logical next step. Um, and as as soon as TikTok Shop became a thing, this this is you know where it had to end up. And, and I think what 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 we know, look, TikTok is absolutely established as a key demand generating platform. Um, it can do a fantastic job, and we're all aware of the you know, the Stanley Quencher type stories where business performance has been transformed by demand creation. Um, uh, you know, looking at the data, um, so the the team at Insider Intelligence, so Yasmin Edinburgh, who's fantastic on all things to do with kind of social media and commerce, has shared latest numbers that show that TikTok is is well on track next year to overtake Facebook in terms of the number of minutes of content consumed by US adults mm-hmm. to be the number one platform. So right. it, it's where the eyeballs are. It drives demand. But I, my thoughts are exactly where where you are, Chris. It's one thing driving the demand. It's another thing being able to satisfy that demand for your own proprietary retail operation. Retail, whether that's fulfillment, logistics, availability, vendor relationships, all that's hard. It's, it's completely unproven at the moment. Uh, so wh- whether... This route of bringing it all inside their own marketplace is the way forward versus opening up for brands to to satisfy themselves. Time will tell. But yeah, that that's the question for me. Yeah, I think I, I agree with what you both said. I think the only thing that I do feel like is important for the retailers and brands listening in the audience is the importance yet again of getting your item attributes in order and assigning as many attributes as you can to your products so that when this does get to a point, because I do think that we're going to get to a point where TikTok is going to be a bigger shopping platform for people where YouTube will be a bigger shopping platform for people. And you need to make sure that your products are searchable based on a a large number of, of ways that people are going to be searched them, whether that's, you know, gen AI search that Walmart rolled out, whether that's, you know, finding something in a video search or in a video platform like TikTok, you need to be still focused on how you're getting a handle on, you know, how people are discovering your product with all of these marketplaces available, um, whether or not this is mature enough to to kind of make that that happen or not, I think that's something that you do need to be investing in and focusing on. Because my my guess is that TikTok is using some sort of visual search platform that they've built to find and identify these things. So if your product isn't searchable or findable in that way, I think that's something that could be a challenge for you going forward. Yeah. Um, and the other point in, I would add yeah. too is like, and the, the other piece is like, you got to control the experience, right? On these yeah. platforms, right? Like we've gone, going back to the firework discussions we've had in the past, like, you know, how do you put the advertising out in such a way that if people are engaged by it, they want to shop from the post or the social media right. activity that you're keeping Great them point. in the brand yep. because the item data, the item data is paramount for any retail experience in today's day and age. But like, that's the really, that's the next level thing, right? Is You've got to control that experience. And that's why the U.S. market is so different than China, too, still to this day. Yeah. All right, guys, let's go to the lightning round. Ben, you get all the lightning round questions, so I hope you're ready. All right. All of them. Uh, all right. Uh, all right. Oh. Uh, ben, question number one, DoorDash is launching a Super Bowl campaign where they will dash 
anything in any of the Super Bowl commercials from electric BMWs to elf concealer to one lucky winner. What item from a Super Bowl commercial would you most like to have dashed to your door? There is there is only one story in the Super Bowl, let's be honest. So if DoorDash could please deliver me Taylor Swift, that would be amazing. <laughs> My kids would, I would be a rock star forever. So yeah, that, a small ask if that would be okay. <laughs> I, Do we know that she's going to be there yet, Dan? She is. Yeah, she's going to travel back in time. She's going to travel back in time because she crosses over some like... I don't know. She's she's leaving before she arrives. It's a it's a very complex matter, but somebody is going to travel to uh, Japan today. So that's going to track and follow her along the journey. Well, if anyone can travel back in time, it's probably Taylor Swift. All right, Ben. Number two, we the dying mobster who stole Dorothy's ruby red slippers will not see jail time, as it turns out, because he's actually in hospice. Ben, who was your favorite Wizard of Oz character? Oh, my God. I, I used to love the lion. The lion. The lion's oh, just yeah. Just brilliant. Just brilliant. He wouldn't love a lion. A friendly lion to have around the house. <laughs> Does anyone ever say Dorothy? That's my question. But hey, that's my question. I mean, question. yeah, Dorothy, obviously. Do you? All right. Oh, yeah, I nice. think so. I mean, she's got those ruby slippers. She turned she does. everything around. She does. Yeah. yeah um, right? Okay. Question number three. We talked in a Walmart story today about store managers being offered stock options. Ben, you've spent time working for large retailers in the UK and the US. Uh, next to stock options, what's one other perk or benefit you'd like to give store managers? Oh, an amazing question. Um, I think the perk that I would offer store managers is their ability at any point in time to pick any head office staff member that they wanted to come and help them in their store. So Ooh. no matter what was going on, oh. they, could just, they could just have this phone call I want this person to come and help. Yeah. Anybody they want, whenever they need it. I love and they, that. That would answer. be amazing. Wow. That's really eating what you cook, too. I, wow. That's really good, Ben. Wow. All right. Last one. A man recently completed a marathon in under four hours, all while smoking a cigarette the entire <laughs> time. What is the most unusual thing you have ever tried to do while running? I try and avoid running like the plague. Um, I give me a bicycle and I'll be fine. I have I've tried to do bicycle runs where you drink. There's there's a um, one around us called the Belgian Waffle Ride, which is kind of off road bicycles plus beer, which is great and dangerous, but I'm far preferable to running. Wow, <laughs> Chris, what All have right. you done? Have you what's your Oh, my story, my story is I tried, I was running on the treadmill and I tried to take off. Actually, I had the shop talk sweatshirt on. And I tried to take it off while running. Um, not a good idea. No, just not a good idea. I almost killed myself at the Y, but, uh, but yeah, that, that was not a smooth move, but, uh, but Ben, let, before we get it, get you out of here, one final question on shop talk. If there was one piece of advice that you have to help people get the most out of the upcoming show, what would it be? Oh, great question. Look, it's a, We've got six, seven weeks to the show. Show's coming up 17th through 20th of March. Uh, the key thing is to get organized early. Uh, we, are, we, we will be closing the VIP registration on the 9th of February. So if you're used to coming to the show as a retailer brand, uh, as part of the VIP hosted program, that closes 9th of February. And the, the meetup program, there's 75,000 meetings that are taking place. The registration for that, closes 
uh, 24th of February. So if you leave it too late to get your ticket, come and enjoy the show. But some of these really valuable things won't be open to you. So I know it's planning diaries and making time is difficult, but a bit of time spent early will really help you maximize the uh, value you get from your time with us in Vegas. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah. And remember, if you're interested, you can use our promo code OmniTalk at any time. All right. Happy birthday today to Jonathan Banks, Kerry Washington, and the man who brought sexy back, but can honestly keep it for all I care, Justin what? Timberlake. I'm not a fan. And as you know, not a fan at all. But remember, if you can only read or listen God. to one retail blog in the business, make it OmniTalk. The only retail, I know I'm going to get a lot of, we get a lot of complaints on that one. But hey, I, I, I'm always frank and candid. We're the only retail media outlet run by two former executives from a current top 10 U.S. retailer. Our Fast Five podcast is the quickest, fastest rundown of all the week's top news. And our now daily newsletter tells you the information you need to know each day and also features special content that is exclusive to us. And we do it all just for you. And we try really hard to make it all fit within the preview pane of your inbox. Thanks, as always, for listening in. Please remember to like and leave us a review wherever you happen to listen to your podcast or on YouTube. You can follow us today by simply going to youtube.com slash Retail. Ben, thank you so much for being with us today. It was an absolute pleasure. And on behalf of Ben and myself and all of us at OmniTalk Retail, as always, be careful out there. The OmniTalk Retail Fast Five is brought to you in association with the A&M Consumer and Retail Group. The A&M Consumer and Retail Group is a management consulting firm that tackles the most complex challenges and advances of clients, people, and communities toward their maximum potential. CRG brings the experience, tools, and operator-like pragmatism to help retailers and consumer products companies be on the right side of disruption. And Avalara. Avalara makes tax compliance faster, easier, more accurate, and more reliable for 30,000 plus businesses and government customers in over 90 countries. Avalara leverages 1,200 plus signed partner integrations to power tax calculations, document management, tax return filing, and tax content access. Visit avalara.com to improve your compliance journey. And Williot. Williot's ambient IoT visibility platform powered by battery-free Bluetooth tags eliminates scanning for real-time end-to-end inventory visibility. For more information, head to williot.com slash Omnitalk. And TGW. TGW will help you revolutionize your grocery supply chain, and their experts will tailor automation solutions to your needs, ensuring you have the edge. Work with TGW before your competition does. Discover more at tgw-group.com. And Sezzle. Sezzle is an innovative buy now, pay later solution that allows shoppers to split purchases into four interest-free payments over six weeks. To learn more, visit sezzle.com. 